Good morning. Am I the only one that feels like today started out as an amazing day, and then you're still <laughs> waiting for it to become an amazing day? Okay, I'm the only one. That's all right. I'm used to that. I can do that. Give me a minute to think that through. Optimist, optimist syndrome. Optimist syndrome. So chapter 13, sure word Bible study. Models of salvation. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer before we get started. God, thank you so much that you're the kind of God that gives us a choice. And thank you so much for that reality. Because it's in that choice that we're able to decide for ourselves if we want to love you or not. And I love the fact that this lesson really focuses on that. A couple of different ways to approach and view salvation and that it calls us to weigh the evidence, to look at the details and to make a choice. So I ask Holy Spirit that as we engage in this conversation that um, you will give us more information, plant seeds, grow them, nourish them, that we will be better equipped to make an intelligent choice and trust you in your name. Okay, well, Models of Salvation, page 166. What do you think of when you read that title? When you hear that title, Models of Salvation, what comes to mind? Sounds like choices. Yeah, thank you. It sounds like choices. Different people have different ideas on what it might be, and they're not all the same. Yeah. Types and anti-types. Types and anti-types, okay. I like all of that. What about the word model? Like, what do you think he used the word model? Like, why why did he pick that word? Models of salvation. Like example. 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 Yeah. Leaders. <laughs> what is it? Leaders. Leaders. Okay. Well, let's check it out. The first paragraph, we'll just kind of read through it and see how it goes through. But basically, our personal salvation and how we secure it is a critically important subject. And as with many other topics we've studied, there's also various views. Um, so in essence, to summarize this paragraph, he's going to say, we're going to look into the Bible, we're going to look at the Bible for our answers, and we're going to see where that leads us in our conversation. Check out the second paragraph on 166. The plan of salvation, oh, sorry, the plan of redemption is so far reaching that philosophy cannot explain it. It will never remain a mystery that the most profound reasoning cannot fathom. The science of salvation cannot be explained, but it can be known by experience. Now, that's a, a complex, for me, a complex paragraph that basically says what's a banana taste like. And I like how the lesson brings this up. How do you explain salvation to somebody? I'm not really sure. All right, so let's answer this question. I have never ate a banana in my life. What's it taste like? Someone raise your hand and give me an answer. Plantain. What's a plantain taste like? <laughs> so everybody here just has this blank look on their face because how do you explain to somebody what a banana tastes like if they've never had a banana? You're going to say, Sweet. you're going to have to try one. That's what you'll say. I mean, you can go around and around in circles, but eventually it's, you're going to land on, you're just going to have to try it. It tastes like it smells. It tastes like it smells? Okay. Easy enough. It's interesting that even if you did 
you think you have the words to describe it, that your perception is still biased to those. Interesting, huh? Mm. Yeah, what if I only like bananas with peanut butter on them? Well, you know, you don't like <laughs> I don't know. But it's true, isn't it? There are some things in life that we can't actually describe. How would you describe your child <coughs> who's entering puberty and he's growing or she's growing and you start talking to them what it feels like to fall in love? How would you describe that? Right? Like you could use words and you can use metaphors and all those kinds of things, but. Is, is being in love with a person the same as being in love with your pet? No. There's a different. It's different. There's some similarities for sure, but in a lot of ways, you just kind of have to experience it. Right? And so, and so that's what I really like about the author here. To really, really be able to understand what salvation is, then we use things like stories metaphors and allegories and, and different things like that to tie in this understanding of what salvation is. Music? Yeah, well said. So in the uh, top of page 167, in Christianity, the method to be followed to secure salvation is known by the term the plan of salvation. That's a common phrase, I think, for anyone who's grown up in the church. Today, most people understand the plan of salvation in a legal law court setting. We've been talking about that a lot. In this scenario, God is seen as the lawgiver and judge, Satan as the accuser, the sinner as the guilty criminal, and Jesus as the advocate or defense attorney. We will refer to this plan as the legal model. Now, does that sound familiar? Very, very familiar. So check out, check out this legal model of salvation. I put it on a slide for you as well just to help everyone check it out. So he goes right down through a list of things. Here's the core elements to this model of salvation. Number one, God being the sovereign creator of all things makes laws and commandments as he sees fit and are to be obeyed by all created things. Number two, violators of God's law, that would be us, sinners, they must be punished. Number three, the ultimate penalty for violation, which would be called sin, is being cast into the lake of fire or hell. God is the judge and executioner of the penalty against sin. To escape the penalty, the guilty sinner must be pardoned. Number six, all mankind is guilty of sin, and therefore all are condemned to hell. Number seven, the innocent Son of God came and paid the penalty on behalf of the sinner. Number eight, if a person accepts Christ's death on his behalf, he is pardoned and will not be punished but granted eternal life. Has anyone ever seen it laid out so plainly? Like, as a matter of fact, basically, here's how this works. Anybody ever seen it sort of laid out like that? Yes. Uh, a lot of people say no. So some now, of the creeds and things. Say again, sorry. In some of the creeds and things that I recited as a kid, okay. a lot of that would have been there. Okay. So now that you can kind of see it laid out like that, put together all in one place, and you can look at that whole idea, raise your hand. What's What is stirred up for you? Well, I mean, 
Um, uh, since we have somewhat understanding of the other model, this thing just starts. Mm, I guess you could say kind of sounds kind of judgy, especially okay. since Satan is there. Right, so exactly, we've been talking a lot about, and again, we're looking at models of salvation, so today we're going to be focusing on what the legal model of salvation is. Next week we're going to focus on the healing model of salvation, right? So yeah, we've, we've been discussing the healing model of salvation for so long now, years in fact, that when, you read, when we read something like this, it's not something we want to be a part of. However, if, I, if, if, if any of us here were to go to a majority of Christian denominations or churches, and you describe salvation in this way, they'll say, amen, amen, preach, brother, amen. Because most people are taught, right, that God is powerful and holy, he's not to be trifled with, right? How many of us have said you don't want to offend God? Warning, right? You don't want to make God mad. So in this model, Angel, do you have your hand up? Yeah, I mean, the only issue is like it doesn't describe as a God of love. Well, it, and it does. It does because I mean the author kind of lays it out here. God is powerful and holy. This is the bottom of page one sixty-seven. He's not to be trifled with, but at the same time, he's said to be loving and just, right? And being a loving, just God, he'll punish you if you break his law because that is what justice requires. Again human justice or design law human justice how do you understand that god loved you so much angel that he killed his innocent son for you that's what they will tell you god loved you so much that he killed his innocent son for you angel yeah yeah but the only thing is like okay like on number three Okay, that's fine. Uh, so if we repent, then we'll be given eternity. If we don't, then we'll be burning in a lake of, uh, of fire for eternity, which is then a, a loving God. A loving God wouldn't, wouldn't have sentenced you to eternity or burning burning up. Yeah, it okay. raises a lot of questions. So in the legal model, you can flip the page with me to 168. In the legal model... The main concern, the main concern is forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That is the concern, forgiveness. And that's the legal term, you know, pardon, pardon, forgiveness. That's the main focus in the legal model. I'm forgiven. As long as you're forgiven, you're forgiven, you're fine. Everybody's happy. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? That's a biblical idea. But what's really important about this, and I like how the author brought this out in that paragraph there, if a person is at the place in their understanding that they see God in this legal way, they need to know that God will forgive them. People need to know that. Don't we all want to know that God forgives us? 100%. In fact, you know, there are, there are people who live their lives believing that they have committed a sin that God won't, can't, 
they're unforgivable. And that lie keeps them stuck, right? So we need to know that God forgives us. But there's a decent number of problems with this, with this idea, isn't there? I would say that the wrong person reads that. Uh, they may feel like they're not worthy and give up. Exactly. So one of the major problems that the legal model brings is God's willingness to forgive you. Because in the legal model, if Jesus didn't die, then would God have forgiven you? That's one of the questions that can be raised. Jesus had to die the sinner's place before God would forgive sin. That's one of the elements of this. And you have to ask. And you have to ask. Thank you. That's right. To put if it bluntly, yeah, if exactly, there's a lot of if. Right. right. In the legal model, there's a lot of you got to do something to make a change in God. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. right? I, I heard once from some a fellow. SDA, um, that, uh, oh, that sounds to me like just another, um, God that needs appeasement. And appeasement, you, right. And, and if you look back at Mount Carmel and all the Baal worshipers and all that, they're trying to appease their God. Right. So Bail they're worship. making God like, like the pagans believing in the same mm -hmm. way. Right. Yeah. And exactly right. <clears throat> they probably learned that from when they kept backsliding and worshiping pagan gods. So they brought that into Christianity. So let's continue here with this paragraph to continue on with some of the, the big problems with the legal model. And exactly like Luis is saying, to put it bluntly, the model teaches that God requires the blood of a sinless, innocent victim before he will forgive the sinner. And Jesus, God's own son, was that victim. Like, that's the, that's the blunt, base, distill it down concept. And, and, it's, taught, and it's taught everywhere. It's taught everywhere <coughs> in our churches. And if you look here in the lesson, you know, uh, let's see, copyright of this resource is, well, this, 1982. Okay? And he, he lists a few here in, in the lesson, some quotes from some different, you know, popular Sabbath school classes, magazines, things like that from back in the 80s. Jesus had to die so God could forgive us our sins. Sin can be forgiven only by death. When Jesus died, all our sins were forgiven, right? So these are some examples he's putting in there from back in the 80s. But we also looked at this last week. And this is from last month, December of 2023. To spare us, God poured out his wrath against the violation of his law. Not on the violators of his law, but on the sinless Jesus. The only way that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus in short, rather than killing us for violating his law, the Father killed Jesus instead. Or to put it crudely, the Father killed Jesus so that he wouldn't have to kill us. What model of salvation is taught there? Definitely the legal. Pagan. Not only that, in the Pagan. commandments it says, thou shalt not murder, which is mm -hmm. a good transition. And it makes it look like God the Father is murdering his son. Mm -hmm. 
as like one of those lamps that had to die in the Israelites. Right. And so the problem, and, and, and the reality is that the Bible doesn't teach that. Like the Bible doesn't teach that model of salvation. Psalms 40 verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. My ears have you opened, burnt offering and sin offering you do not require. Other versions and other translations of, of Psalms 40 verse 6 say things like, Sacrifice and offering you do not desire. I understand now. I understand now I have understanding and then you also read in Psalms I think it's Psalms 51 maybe when David's praying sacrifices in blood you, you don't require a contrite, contrite heart a willing spirit like you know David's saying I understand now this is from Desire of Ages uh, page 761 Ellen White wrote this Let's meditate on this comment here, and then we'll get back into our lesson. In the opening of the Great Controversy, well, first, pause. When did that happen? When did the Great Controversy open? In heaven. In heaven, not at creation, in heaven. Yeah. In the opening of the Great Controversy, in heaven, Satan had declared that the law of God could not be obeyed, that justice was inconsistent with mercy, and that should the law be broken, it would be impossible for the sinner to be pardoned, we can use the word forgiven. It would be impossible for the sinner to be forgiven. Every sin must meet his punishment, urged Satan. Every sin must meet his punishment, urged Satan. How does Satan understand God's law works? It's a legal system. It's a legal system. When did the great controversy start? In heaven, before creation. It's a legal system. So here at the top of page 169, God does not require that the sinner appease him with a blood sacrifice before he will forgive him. Pause right there. We don't sacrifice anyone. But, but how many of us, or am I the only one, that has believed that God won't forgive me unless I ask for it? Mm -hmm. Several hands can go up. God won't forgive me unless I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Because he was the sacrifice, and I then accept his sacrifice on my behalf, so now Jesus, God, can forgive me. These are all things that we've been taught. All the legal model. If God had required the death of Jesus as payment before he could forgive our sin... That means God is not forgiving. Yeah. Listen, that means God is not forgiving. Look at this metaphor. Again, we're going to use some metaphors to teach salvation. Okay? Here's the metaphor that he uses. Mm -hmm. I want you all to internalize this reality. For example, I'm reading from our book, page 169, top paragraph in the middle. For example... Say you owed a creditor a million dollars and were unable to repay the debt. One day, a good friend, seeing your dilemma, went to the creditor whom you owed the million dollars and said, I will pay the million dollars my friend owes. So your creditor accepts the money from your friend and then says to you, your debt is forgiven. But the fact is, what? What's the fact? 
your creditor did not forgive your debt at all. What happened? He accepted payment from somebody else. So in the same way, if God would only forgive us if Jesus paid our debt, then has God forgiven us? No. God has not forgiven us at all. He's only accepted payment from Jesus. You can't have, it's, there's a fancy word, it's called antithetical. You can't have forgiveness and getting paid at the same time. They don't work. You're either forgiven or you are paid. My question is, so why at this point, then you're looking at some back a little bit here, if sure. God had required the death of Jesus paying for you to forgive sin, then how did David get forgiven? How did who say David get forgiven? How did David get forgiven? Say more about that. I'm not following you. Just it's, it's that David was a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. You look at what David did in his life and how, and how he turned his life around mm -hmm. and who he became. Mm -hmm. So if people... Jesus had to die that David wouldn't have become who he was if he wasn't able to change his ways, change his heart, and become who he was at the end. Am I not making sense? I'm, I'm still trying to track with you. So, so the David became man as he became yep. one of God's strongest yep. supports. So if this term that Jesus had to die for somebody to be forgiven, Jesus didn't come around yet. So how was David able to? Oh, you're helping support this voice. Yes. Yeah, got it. Right. You're voicing a question that would come up in someone's mind and cause those people to kind of think like, so how does that make sense? And how would the legal model make sense then? It doesn't. Exactly. I'm with you. It raises more questions than it gives answers, doesn't it? It does give a lot of questions, but but if, but if that were the case, then David would have never been become who he was. Through the king. Everybody in the world. So with here, you know, the author brings up an interesting point and, you know, agree, disagree, whatever you think, kind of how this settles in. The expression, Jesus died to pay for all our sins. Which, by the way, is not in the Bible. It's a well thought out statement. But the point is, if that statement is true, then all people will be saved whether they accept Christ's death or not. Agree, disagree. Jesus died to pay for all our sins. That's true. It raises another question, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Then all people are saved whether they accept it or not. I think there are people who believe yep. that. Some people definitely, believe that. Definitely, yeah. Is it yeah. universalism? Yeah, um, it's actually Calvinists. Calvinists believe that God determines who's saved and who's lost purely on his own. Whether... Whether you decide or not decide how you choose to do that, it doesn't matter. God ahead of time determined that Lola's saved, Seth's lost, Mama Virgin's saved, Virginia's lost, just just randomly off his head. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Predestination. So, but if he paid for all our sins, they are paid for and the debt no longer owed, whether we acknowledge it or not. Again, it doesn't make sense if you really think it through really think about this legal model it doesn't make much sense does it another thing they don't mention in this is how jesus chose to die 
Well, it's not so much the idea that it's not mentioned in this, um, but yes, people who hold the legal model, they, they, I believe, would have a hard time sort of reconciling or wrestling with that idea because, well, God, someone had to pay a sacrifice. There has to be this thing. God killed. Someone had to be punished for it, you know, and, and then... They, there's a lot of mental gymnastics that still brings up a lot of questions and still pushes a lot of people away from the church. If you go to 170, the top there, another major issue with the legal model is that it leads to presumption. Since being taught that forgiveness is all the sinner needs to be saved, and since Jesus had secured that for us, well, that's all that matters. Thus, people have no lasting motivation to change or to live a righteous life. Paul's right there. Listen to what that says. In the legal model, forgiveness is all that matters. So people have no lasting motivation to change or to live a righteous life. I love music, and the singer-songwriter Aaron Lewis this is the chorus of his song, Sinner. Because I'm a sinner to my core. I ask forgiveness and nothing more. There's no focus on actual change of character. The only focus is on am I forgiven. I can remember growing up as a kid laying in bed and, and, and doing my best to remember all the sins I committed that day and ask forgiveness for them. And if I died in my sleep, I know I've asked for forgiveness for all my sins. God can't, dog, God can't catch me. <laughs> you know? Anybody else? Is that just me? You know? It's what we're taught. It's what we're taught. Now, our teachers and our pastors and our preachers and our Sabbath school teachers and our parents who taught us these things, I believe there's no malicious intent. It, it was taught with good, they're just trying to help. They're just trying to teach you about God, their intentions are good, their intentions are pure. But if you believe a lie, and you teach that lie to somebody else, even with good motive, you're still passing on the lie. The damage still occurs, the damage still happens. So let's, let's think about some of these questions. On 170, let's go through them. They're yes or no, they're real simple. Think about these, will forgiveness change our sinful nature? Yes no. or no? No. 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 What? Not alone. Right. Forgiveness alone doesn't change our sinful nature. Yeah, I can forgive the person who smashed into my car, but that doesn't change the fact that they addicted to being on their cell phone while they drive. Does it make sense? Will, will being forgiven make a violent person safe <coughs> to live with? Does it make sense that forgiveness is all the sinner needs to be saved? In the legal model, yeah. But in reality? I don't know if any of you ever saw the shack, but there's a part in there where he had to go up this path, and at that point, God was God the Father because he knew that the fellow needed 
a father figure to go through that. Point being, we're talking about forgiveness is all that is needed for oh. his heart transformation. Priscilla started getting judgmental again at the person that killed his child. And God said to him, um, I still want to redeem him, hmm. which I think made him angry. And then God's father told him, sometimes, well, sometimes you have to forgive more than once. Right. Forgiveness is a process. I mean, you know, Sarah spent a lot of time doing some pretty decent reading and research on this whole concept. And it's, you know, and I had a, a good friend of mine once tell me forgiveness, when someone harms you, we build a wall to protect ourselves. And forgiveness is not tearing the whole wall down. Forgiveness is removing one brick at a time. You remove another brick. And very slowly, you start dismantling this wall over time. Because that's the process of healing as it comes back up. Nicodemus, when Nicodemus came to Jesus one night and asking him a blunt question, Lord, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life? What was Jesus' response? You must be forgiven. Is that what Jesus answered? No, that will more. Sell everything and. Give it Sell everything. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be changed. Okay? So to have eternal life, you must be born again. And that was a concept to Nicodemus that, like, I'm an old man. How do I go back in my mama's womb? Like, he's thinking of this literally, right? But Jesus, again, how do you explain salvation to somebody? You gotta use metaphors. You gotta give use understandings, well, okay? Well, it makes sense why baptism is a thing. Symbolism of dying to the old self, being resurrected to the new self with a new life. That's exactly right. That's a, a metaphor of symbolic of that whole process. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is teaching this to Nicodemus. It's like going back into your mother's room and, and being born again for the first time. God's grace changes the person so drastically that it's like being born all over again and becoming a new creature in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. A new creature in Christ. Now, let me ask these questions. A lot of people, a lot of people struggle with this idea. Well, I've been saved. I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I attend church. But why do I still deal with addiction? Swearing. Overeating. Anger. Why am I so hateful and resentful? Fill in the blanks, guys. And I hope when you fill in the blank, you put you there. Because we all deal with something. Why do I still do this thing? And Satan's right there again. Who's accusing you? Satan. Satan's right there saying, well, God doesn't love you. How can he love you? You still deal with this thing. He's accusing you. Okay, so there's a difference. There's, there's giving your heart to Jesus. There's being born again, but you're dealing with the brain. You're dealing with the brain. Some journeys of healing take three to five years. Three to five years. And you're talking about your brain. 
because it takes years to change your brain, to heal your brain, to not be a person that harms others or yourself. And during that process, God is still working with you. You're forgiven the whole time. But what's needed for you? Your participation. you got to participate in this process. you got to accept the gift and throw it out. So the traditional way of understanding how a person is saved, the legal model, is not supported by Scripture. I'm reading the bottom paragraph of page 178. It's not supported by Scripture. That's a bold statement. Because a lot of people will like gather the legal model from the Bible. But what's the premise that they're coming? What's, what's the lens that they're approaching? That legal model. Huh? That legal model. God is like a, a, a mm -hmm. God works like humans. You know, God's punishing, God's angry. God works no different than, you know, our judge, our, our Roman Caesar, whatever it could be, right? A dictator. So they're approaching it that way, and so that's what they're getting out of it. It's just another private interpretation that makes makes it like in the Bible says you don't change anything so you're changing something like if you're telling them this part, this kind of the model and we're not supposed to change the Bible comment this really makes me think especially with the with the paragraph talking about how there's no lasting motivation to change if you're already saved, it, it just goes back to the meaning of remember the Sabbath day to keep yourselves holy. Ooh. Because it's the constant, not that we're holy, it's just that we're trying to emulate that, we're trying to be like God. That requires daily, daily changing, daily, yes. you know, correction, daily yes. whatever constant. it is. It's constant. Yes. Yes. Yeah, be holy mm -hmm. as your Father is holy. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Okay, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, be sinless. Okay, First John, you know, there's a, there's a lot of texts in the Bible that, that call us to be like God. Be holy, be perfect, and if you are approaching your relationship with God or you're approaching God in a legal way, so it's behavioral, right, then none of that kind of stuff makes sense and it's hard to get there. Okay, but if you're looking at it more from character, heart, motive, maturity, to be perfect, to be holy, to be mature, is taking responsibility for yourself. Like you say, that every day, growing, how can I do this better? It's asking questions. It's it's growing. Exactly. And I think that that's, that's ultimately where we're trying to get at. What must I do to be saved? You need healed. You need to be willing to be healed. Any, any other comments here before we kind of close it up here for today? Which kind of reminds me of the blind beggars in Matthew who wanted to be healed but couldn't get to the pool of Bethesda. He had that desire but didn't have a means to get there until somebody carried him. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that because it starts in here. 
I want to be better. I want to do what it takes. I want to heal. I want to grow. I want to do the hard work, right? And people, that's actually kind of a, a good life lesson in that because people will see that in us. You can tell. All of us can tell when there's someone in our life who's genuinely wanting to try and someone who's not. We, we can tell. And it's, and it's, it's, it's good to, to invest in those situations. So next week, uh, page 171, we're going to start right there and we're going to look into a different model of salvation, a healing model of salvation. Uh, salvation, just to guys a little bit of a teaser, salvation comes from the root word sozo, which literally means to heal, to save from death. It doesn't mean to forgive, it means to heal, to restore, to save from death. That's literally what it means. So the plan of salvation is the plan of healing. Jesus came as a healer, not as a lawyer. So that in and of itself is, is a big... Um, revelation, I guess, of, of kind of the truth of what we're doing. So yeah, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that as we're unpacking the plan of salvation, the models of salvation here, that it's really easy for us to find some questions and find some some uh, holes in this, this idea. And it's not hard for us to see how it really makes you out to be someone who's not forgiving and someone who can't be trusted. And we praise you, God, that that's not the truth. Thank you so much that Jesus came to show us what the truth is, what salvation really is. And when we come together next week to continue this study, I just ask that, again, as I always do, that you help, help it challenge a view that we have, help it to grow our understanding about you, and that we will more completely open our hearts to trust you. We pray these things in your precious name, Father. Amen.